This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. After a long weekend, I hope a lot of you folks had the chance to get together, spend a little time, relax and refresh yourselves, but also to think back on the reason we took yesterday off. It was to remember those who are no longer with us because they made the ultimate sacrifice. I know a lot of folks out there listening today might have had some excitement yesterday to parades or at memorial services. There was some severe weather that rolled across the country. John Baranek of DTN Weather will give us an update on that, plus what to expect later on this week here in just a minute. And then we're going to speak with Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress in segment two. Some changes are coming to CRP acres might help encourage a little bit more food production. Jackie will give us those details details later. And then in segment three, Dan Halster, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, will join us. They recently completed their spring conference down in San Antonio. He's got a lot of fresh insights about the global meat trade he'll be bringing to us. And then finally, in segment four, folks, it's hard to believe, but summer is here. June is tomorrow, which means I'm looking forward to the Farm Progress Show coming at the end of August. We're going to talk with Matt Youngman, the events director at Farm Progress, to close out today's show. But first, let's talk weather. As I mentioned, we're joined next by John Baranek of DTN. John, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Always good to talk with you, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Let's talk about yesterday's weather, this weekend's weather. John, we had some tornadoes spring up across the Corn Belt. Tell us who, who got what. Yeah, I mean, we kind of had several days of some pretty decent weather here across the northern plains and in the upper Midwest. Basically, we were in the Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota. We all had something over the weekend here. South Dakota got it several days in a row, but it all culminated in uh, this, the storm system yesterday. That was the big severe weather day. And we saw several rounds of that go through. A lot of it went through Minnesota. Uh, we had five tornado reports so far that have been reported. Uh, but over 200 wind reports. And so most of that's in Minnesota, but we also had strings of that in eastern South Dakota, uh, parts of Nebraska and Kansas and Iowa as well. So um, pretty big, severe weather day, that's for sure. Yes, it certainly was. And John, as you mentioned, we saw some rainfall fall. Who got the most? And as you look across the country, how were rain, rainfall totals over the week? Yeah, so over the over the weekend there, I mean, it basically was just in the, the areas where we had the severe weather. So just right there in the in the northern plains, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, Kansas, basically had had uh, had all the rain. And uh, like I mentioned, South Dakota got multiple rounds of it, and uh, they ended up kind of the big winners. Um, if, if you kind of take it on a whole across the whole state, there, most of the state saw something, and then the eastern half of the state had anywhere from two to four inches of rainfall. Uh, but portions of eastern North Dakota and, and a lot of Minnesota, too, saw some pretty good rains, um, one to two inches in a lot of these areas, some isolated heavier amounts. Uh, I think a lot of folks in North Dakota were kind of lamenting the fact that it was going to be raining over the weekend. But some central portions of the state ended up uh, pretty dry, not a whole lot of rain there in the middle portion of that state. So uh, we might have had some better planning progress in there. We'll have to watch the crop progress report to see how that all panned out. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how much progress we made this last week. And John, I know growers are fired up to make some progress this week. What's the forecast look like? Who's going to be getting some moisture? Yeah, so this big system that kind of brought the severe weather yesterday, is, is the, the big bowling ball low is moving off into Ontario. Uh, we still got some winds across the uh, the upper Midwest and the, and the Dakotas here today to deal with. But overall, not too bad in terms of moisture. All the, the showers are kind of spinning their way out. So um, that, uh, we'll see some drier conditions there. But with that front, uh, with that system, it's going to be just sliding its way through the country here through Friday. Uh, it's getting kind of through the central and southern plains up into the uh, central parts of the Midwest today, and then it'll slowly move its way south over the next few days. Um, you know, what we should see some areas of severe weather here today and tomorrow. I think the better chances for that um, are really across kind of the central southern plains, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas panhandle areas. Now, of course, those areas are also in drought and they can use the rainfall anyway. So even if it comes with severe weather, I think they'll be happy to get some moisture. Uh, but we'll see that track across the eastern Midwest as well. So, you know, we had some pretty dry conditions over the weekend. It looks like we'll be wet for you for a couple of days this week. 
John, does that severe weather threat extend into Missouri, Illinois, or Indiana as this system moves east? Yeah, it does today. Uh, there is a slight risk here. I mean, I think the strongest stuff is going to be from Kansas down in the Texas Panhandle. And they've got a chance of some heavier uh, hail with that, too, which is not good with uh, the crop coming out of the ground already uh, or any of the wheat areas out there. But uh, that, you're right, that also extends through Missouri and then up into uh, Michigan for today. Tomorrow, it's kind of a, a more muted threat, and it kind of shifts its way eastward uh, from Ohio into, uh, into New York State. But we also still have an area down there from Oklahoma to Texas that will probably have some, uh, some minor severe weather uh, down there as well. And then as we go to Thursday and Friday, we, keep, we start slipping that a little bit further south and east, kind of the mid-Atlantic areas and then the southeast for the rest of the week. John, I saw that NOAA recently updated their 6- to 10-day and 8- to 14-day temp outlooks, and they have just a well of cold air moving over the central Corn Belt. How cold is it going to get up there? Yeah, honestly, it's, it's not really that it's going to be that cold. It's just going to be consistently below normal. Um, so we've got really that the trough of low pressure that created our big storm system yesterday is just going to kind of sit in south central, uh, south central Canada and the upper Midwest here for um, really going through a lot of next week. Uh, so, you know, temperatures will be any, anywhere from 5 to 10 degrees below normal uh, for this time of year. So, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're coming out of spring and, you know, we think below normal, oh, man, it's going to be super cold. But, you know, normal temperatures around this time of year are in the 60s and 70s, sometimes 80s. So, you know, 5 to 10 degrees below normal is actually not going to feel too bad uh, unless you're up in, you know, in far northern North Dakota or Minnesota there where it's probably, you may hit some 50s for highs. But overall, 60s, 70s, some 80s, not going to be too bad. Well, let's go the opposite direction, John, down to the tropics. I understand things are starting to heat up a little bit in the Atlantic. Sounds like it might be a, an active hurricane season. Yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're in a La Nina pattern, and typically La Nina does enhance the tropical storm threats across the Atlantic Ocean. You know, we saw our first tropical system here uh, in the eastern Pacific. Uh, it was a hurricane, Agatha, that made landfall in Mexico uh, over the weekend. It's going to kind of move its way across the Yucatan Peninsula, and eventually it's going to come out into the southwestern or southeastern Gulf of Mexico or the northwestern Caribbean, kind of somewhere between uh, the Yucatan Peninsula and Florida. And um, it could develop again into a, another tropical system. So that could be our first one of the year in the Atlantic Basin as well. So uh, I'm not sure whether or not they would actually call it something different or considering it's kind of a continuation from the last one, they might just keep it as the, as the storm name Agatha. So we'll have to see what they do with that if it develops. But I think Florida, I think, has the, the biggest chance for seeing anything tropical um, moving through. I for the most part, it's, it's uh, most likely to be a tropical storm instead of a hurricane. But some heavy rains uh, could definitely move across the Florida Peninsula later this week. Uh, lots to keep an eye on weather-wise. That's John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Always good to talk to you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. And folks, stick with us. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor at Farm Progress, will join us when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40 plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the census of agriculture. A complete count of our farms, ranches, and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American as well as folks around the world. Ag census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions 
that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash ag census. Thank you. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. Get on board. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to AOA. We are going to be talking next with Jackie Fatka. She's the policy editor at Farm Progress, and she keeps track of everything that happens in Washington, D.C. Jackie, thank you for joining us today. Good morning, Mike. Let's talk about CRP. We've got some changes happening at USDA. They're opening up CRP a little bit early, but only for some folks. Can you give us the details? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have been watching what USDA was going to do on those expiring CRP acres that would be coming out. And normally those acres, as they would expire, would uh, have an October 1st expiration date. And if farmers would get into those fields before October 1st to do any field work, they'd actually have to pay a penalty. And this is actually a question I've been asking for months of USDA of whether they would let farmers into those fields early to maybe do some early field prep or even get, um, you know, some some crops in yet this fall, you know, an overwinter wheat type crop. And uh, USDA did announce last week that they are going to let those farmers, depending on the nesting periods, uh, get into those fields. So, you know, some of those northern climates, the nesting period is until October, August 1st. So you might not be able to get a short season soybean in there, but some of those southern states that might have acres that are coming out of CRP, they could actually maybe get uh, a crop in yet this year or or at least get in some field work. And so this is this is just another action they're taking to kind of help with some of the global grain supply concerns that we might have, helping those producers who are coming out of CRP get that land ready to come back into production. So no penalty if you start working that ground, prepping that field after the end of the primary nesting period in your state, which Jackie, as you mentioned, for a lot of our listeners here, that's either July 15th for some of our friends in Wyoming, Nebraska, you get down into Kansas, and then of course, August 1st for those northern states. So that's the change there. And yeah, that was that was a battle to get that to come from USDA, but sounds like it's a step in the right direction, don't you think? I- 
I think it it definitely is. And, you know, Secretary Vilsack has continued to say, uh, you know, the CRP is, is, is something that does allow producers to to decide what they want to do. Um, but this this helps alleviate a little bit of that almost lost season that could have happened in this year for some of those areas. So definitely a good thing. Um, and, and again, looking at the situation around the world, this is something that it's not going to add a huge bump. But again, it, it's every little bit it's going to count this year. All right. Well, we've also got conversations happening in Washington, D.C. I should say continuing to happen, Jackie, over investigating the beef industry. There's now a bipartisan call for the FTC to report on whether or not there's price fixing. Jackie, can you fill us in on this discussion? You know, I think everybody is just at their <laughs> really just getting quite frustrated with the fact that we have had a, this investigation apparently going on in the Department of Justice for nearly two years now on whether there is price fixing going on in the cattle market. And um, this is just another way that I think that Congress is trying to let their voice be known. I know that they're hearing a lot from those cattle producers all over the country. And uh, so Senator Mike Rounds from South Dakota and Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, actually, um, they they have put in a, a bipartisan joint resolution. Now, a joint resolution is a little different than a, than a law, um, but it, it would it would direct the Federal Trade Commission to report to Congress within one year whether there's actually anti-competitive practices and if there's a violation of the antitrust law in the beef packing industry. So this is a little nuanced in the fact that they're actually trying to um, invoke a, an act that authorizes the president or Congress to direct the FTC to investigate um, whether there's actually these antitrust and violations. And the rule has actually not been used since the 1920s. Uh, and so this is just, once again, a lot of people are really just wanting to have more answers. And this would force the Federal Trade Commission to have those answers within a year. Um, this is not actually come up for a vote on uh, in the Senate. I, I don't believe that there, at least the last time I checked, there's nothing that's a, a companion in the House. But again, just another way to try to get some more answers on something that a lot of producers are really concerned about. Well, producers are concerned about it. I would imagine the, the meatpacking processing companies have to be concerned that this investigation is just hanging out there. Jackie, DOJ has been working on this since the Tyson fire in Holcomb, Kansas in 2019. What have we heard from them? Why haven't we gotten any answers yet? Uh, are you meaning them as in the beef processors? The FTC, what is taking this so long from the Department of Justice? Is this how these investigations normally work? It's a multi-year process? You know, I, I think it is. A, is does take a lot of time. Um, I think another thing, too, you know, this started under one administration and uh, is continuing on through another administration. So sometimes your head of those departments change. You have different, you do have career staff that are there, but uh, you know, there's a lot of people who have said that there are they are understaffed at DOJ. Um, you know, here in the last couple of weeks, too, the House has actually uh, approved a bill that would set up uh, set up a, a special USDA. Uh, basically, I should back up. The the House passed a passed a bill out of committee that would try to give some more insight to DOJ, basically giving somebody that actually understands the cattle markets, understands uh, the ag's industry to, to participate in kind of more oversight of, of what's going on in the markets. Um, because sometimes, you know, there is a lot of things that the Department of Justice for FTC oversees. And so this, there's a lot of different actions that are being taken to try to help ag specific and trying to make sure that what's going on, people understand what's going on, that USDA has some say and being able to offer some expertise in that. But at the end of the day, you know, is this more regulations? And so that was a big discussion in the house, but a, a lot of different balls up in the air that, that they're juggling to try to figure out what's really going on. And is it something that is causing concerns that are warranted or is it, um, is there, is there reasons that can be justified for, for what's going on? And so I think a lot of people are concerned how to approach it is still how everyone's just kind of feeling out right now, what the best way is to do that.
Yeah, a lot of different voices and opinions need to be balanced in this, but hopefully this uh, this joint action will call for, for more action on behalf of the DOJ. Jackie, I want to turn our focus to the EPA. June 3rd, that's Friday. We are supposed to get the RVO, Renewable Fuel Obligation Volumes, for 2022 and 2021. Is it going to happen? <laughs> you know, I, I will say I actually have an ongoing, I have a reminder on my uh, computer on June 3rd because I have a bet with somebody on whether it's uh, over or under a June 3rd. I believe I'm over June 3rd is what my bet is on it because, um, you know, it, it's supposed to happen. Um, I think EPA will probably try to do its its best to make that happen. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of things that um, that are coming out on whether you know how how they'll they'll manage this. You know, I think late last month we'd heard that they were probably going to retroactively reduce for the years 2020 and 2021, which has caused a lot of concerns from the ethanol industry of being able to go back and actually lower the mandated levels for those years because we obviously saw lower levels due to COVID and so forth, but then boosting it back up this year. Um, and so I think there's definitely some concerns. You know, last week, uh, NCGA President uh, Chris Edgington from from Iowa actually met with Office of Management and Budget as well as EPA staff. And he really reiterated some of those concerns with EPA's proposals of those retroactive volumes. Um, and, and also, you know, we've we've never seen something where we've changed it after we've already went through that year. And so, you know, I, I think I think everybody will be watching to see how EPA manages this. You know, EPA often gets sued over whatever they end up putting out. And so I think that they're really trying to make sure that they can, they have something that is viable and also can withstand any court challenge. And so this is obviously uh, something that's important to everyone across the country who, who sells corn to an ethanol plant, who puts ethanol into their, their vehicles and uh, you know how do you manage that 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 follows the the intent of the law I think everybody will be watching closely what EPA does on this indeed they've got this June 3rd and then hopefully those 2023 RVOs that preliminary number coming out in October Jackie does that sound like it could happen you know I think so and if um, I think it, the, the interesting thing going forward as we go into 2023, um, they call this the set rule. They're going to try to probably do multiple years at a time. And so I think they're going to get away from this kind of one and done type year that has a lot of challenges. And they're going to look forward and try to say, OK, well, how can we do this over multiple years? Because yeah. the, the current RFS actually expires. Uh, this is the last year that it's mandated at a certain level. So EPA has a little bit more wiggle room to maybe yep. do a longer, a more forward-looking approach to this. That's true. Stay with us, folks. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the market trade working through our morning, we see a split between soy complex and corn and wheat with wheat down sharply. However, even soybeans are starting to fade a little bit here as we work through the morning with the pressure from wheat and corn. As we see futures uh, on the wheat side continuing to consolidate with weekend comments from Russia, President Putin indicating he would be willing to help open up corridors for Ukrainian wheat exports to leave the Black Sea. 
Now, meetings still need to be held this week and authorizations official, but the comments are a sharp change from earlier policies where Russian officials refused aid and essentially continued to blame the West for any world commodity shortages. Now, soybeans extended contract highs overnight. We're seeing that liquidate a little bit, though. Northwestern Corn Belt continues to get crushed by volatile storms and heavy rains with only brief breaks this week and a cold extended forecast, leaving conditions problematic in Minnesota and the Dakotas up into mid-June. Now, those three states can produce up to a quarter of the nation's crop on a good year. This won't be one of those years, and the 22-23 domestic balance sheets have very little room for error as currently constructed by USDA. Right now, July corn down nine and a half, seven sixty-seven to three quarters. December down nine and a half, seven twenty and a half. July beans five and three quarters lower, seventeen twenty-six and a half. November up two and a quarter, fifteen forty-six and a quarter. Bean meal for July down two ninety a ton, four twenty-nine forty. Bean oil for July down twenty-two points, seventy-nine thirty-five. July Chicago wheat forty-four lower, eleven thirteen and a half. September down forty-three and a quarter, eleven twenty-three. July Kansas City wheat currently down 36 and a half, 1198 and three quarters. July spring wheat down 23 and three quarters, 1281. Cattle are higher. June live cattle up 57, 132.75. Feeder cattle for August up 147, 167.80. June hogs down $2, 108.40. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks, to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day. This past week, a conference happened down in San Antonio, Texas, a conference to discuss the access to U.S. meat for consumers around the world. This was the U.S. Meat Export Federation's annual spring conference. Joining me today to t discuss it and the topics that were raised by the participants today is Dan Halstrom, president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Mike. Good morning. Tell us a little bit, what was the crowd like? How was the enthusiasm down there in San Antonio to discuss meat sales around the world? Well, I have to say, Mike, uh, attendance was uh, a record for our May conference, and uh, uh, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of good participation. And, and I, would, I would categorize it as a tone of cautious optimism. I mean, uh, Obviously, we're coming off of records from last year, and uh, the first quarter on beef were up slightly and pork were down slightly, but I think uh, all things considered, uh, everyone was in agreement that demand has been pretty good, in fact, record-breaking. Um, but there's a lot of uh, headwinds, as we all know, and uh, that's why I say a little bit of a caution in the air, so to speak. That certainly makes sense, Dan. And one place some of that cautiousness is coming from is China and our relationship with the second largest economy in the world. I understand one of your presenters was former Iowa governor and ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, discussing that country. What did he tell you? What did you learn about China as we enter this new era? Well, it was great having Ambassador Branstad there and uh, providing some really good perspective. And I think I think number one, uh, everyone knows that uh, you know, on the political front, things are more tense than they have been. But but on the, if you look at the 
history, and I go back to the phase one trade agreement that was implemented in early 2020, uh, I think we're all in agreement that this has been uh, a very uh, positive, in fact, you could almost categorize it as a home run for agriculture and uh, specifically the beef and pork industry. So I think he, he was giving us some background on just how uh, how uh, impactful some of the changes that came out of the agreement were. Now, everyone tends to focus on the goals, you know, the uh, sales goals for agriculture and well-documented that, that were a little bit short of the goals. But the reality is that we had a, a record-breaking year uh, for beef and pork in 2020 and again in 2021. And uh, while we may not hit the goals, we still had very, very good numbers. And some of the non-tariff trade issues, uh, such as access for increased numbers of plants being approved, things like this were really impactful. And I think that was the takeaway that even though we may not have hit the, the percentage uh, goals, uh, that, that overall this is very, very good for the U.S. Uh, beef and pork industries. That's a really good point. Even though we didn't hit the lofty targets that Robert Lighthizer negotiated, at the end of the day, Dan, we still put American meat in the mouths of a lot of new Chinese consumers who'd never tried it. Did Governor Branstad talk about the local reception to U.S. product? Oh, without a doubt. And he was involved in a couple of them. When we rolled out, to, I remember our rollout in, you know, of uh, U.S. beef, and he was, uh, uh, you know, right there with us, with USMEF and USDA and the rollout events. And, uh, and you're exactly right. There's folks in China that have never had the opportunity to try U.S. Uh, grain-fed beef. And, uh, and now that they have, we're, we're seeing the results. Uh, Fast forward to uh, 2021, end of the year, it was a $2 billion market for exports for U.S. beef. So without a doubt, uh, you know, he, he did reflect on that. And, and really the discussion focused more in the future. Well, what, how, how much additional growth could we see? And, uh, and China is a big part of our, of our plans going forward on beef and the global network. It is indeed. And as you look out both on beef and pork in China, you expect this year, as you mentioned, Dan, to be a little slower than the record-breaking pace of 2021. But overall, that demand is still expected to be strong throughout China? Without a doubt. Um, yeah, it'll it'll probably be another new record on beef, albeit at a much slower rate of growth compared to last year. Um, and, and on pork, we're, we're seeing, uh, we're, we're down, but we see the second half of the year uh, improving over the first half of the year um, on pork. Um, so yeah, we're, we're a very important trading uh, partner of ours in China. But that being said, a lot of the conference also, also focused on diversification, and uh, we can't lose sight of some of our e other key trading partners in the region. You know, Japan, Korea, uh, Philippines, Vietnam, etc. So. Uh, uh, that's really another key takeaway that came out of the conference was uh, really spreading our eggs into a lot of baskets, not focusing on just one. And you mentioned the Philippines. I understand you had Dave Renteria as part of a panel. He is the representative there in the Philippines. And of course, they're under discussions now to join that Indo-Pacific economic framework. Dan, what were Dave's thoughts? Is he excited about the potential for U.S. meat in Philippines? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, Philippines on both the uh, Pork and beef is a, a virtual untapped resource. I mean, uh, uh, of course, we've been active there and we've seen we've seen growth there, but uh, there's a lot of potential in the future, in our opinion. And uh, the panel that you mentioned really dealt on uh, on focusing on the rather than the modern retail sector, focusing on the traditional retail sector, the wet markets, the wholesale markets that feed into some of these other aspects of the. Uh, economies, not only in the Philippines, we also had somebody on the panel from Colombia and Mexico. And, uh, you know, the, the modern retail, the flashy modern retail gets a lot of the headlines, but the traditional uh, wholesale and retail sectors, uh, there's still a lot of consumption uh, traditionally that happens in those sectors. And USMEF has been very active in those sectors of spreading our story, so to speak, on, on both beef and pork. And does that story resonate if I'm if I'm shopping at a local wet market in the Philippines? Dan, am I concerned about where that meat comes from? Can we market the American story? We can. Um, 
Yeah, it's like anything else. It's about developing relationships with the trade, um, the importers, the distributors, and then ultimately the consumers. And uh, like it, like modern retail, people are concerned with quality. They're concerned with safety. They're con- concerned with versatility of the products. And uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, a lot of our focus in these in these traditional markets is variety meats and. Uh, uh, you know, the versatility and the merchandising of a beef liver, for example, or a pork uh, stomach, things like this. Uh, not something we focus on here in the U.S. a whole lot, but, but it's a big portion of our consumption in the global marketplace. And uh, so very, very important that we go in there and tell our story. Dan, we've seen the global grain trade impacted by the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Has the global meat trade been impacted nearly as much? No, the, the actual meat trade has been less impacted from the standpoint of, of, of export of uh, you know, beef and pork. But that being said, of course, everybody's impacted by the grain impact. I mean, we all know what's happening with you know, $7.50 corn and, and, and soybeans at, at levels not seen since uh, 2012. And um, you know, the, the higher inputs, of course, eventually translate into higher costs for the meat as well. So. I wouldn't say the impact has been direct, but without a doubt, uh, the the impact in the Ukrainian situation has been felt through the inputs, through the through the cost side of uh, the beef, of uh, the corn and the soybeans. That certainly makes sense, and I'm sure a lot of producers on this side of the ocean can relate to that as well, those higher input costs. Dan, from a political perspective, as we head into the summer, are there any policy goals USMEF would like to see implemented here before we get to the midterm elections? Well, we're always um, we're always out there trying to facilitate increased access, um, you know, in terms of uh, uh, of um, you know, broader, broader scope of what we're able to do. And, uh, you know, there's, there's several things going on currently um, that, that I would consider low-hanging fruit. Uh, we're sitting here with a situation in the Philippines with, with the quotas, reduced duty quotas, and ensuring that on the pork side, and ensuring that we're able to take advantage of those uh, has been a real priority. And we actually got word last, uh, late last week that it looked like they were going to come through. So that's, that's a positive. Um, and we're also looking at other situations around the world to, uh, to put us on a level playing field. And uh, I think uh, the administration's been very good to work with. Um, you know, we, we recently uh, had a resolution to our beef safeguard issue in Japan, uh, which was welcome news um, because we ran the threat of annually having a disruption there in terms of reduced uh, access with increased tariffs. We've now got that. Uh, to where it looks like it will not have to be something we would have to worry about each year. So I think it's uh, you know it's a big world out there. There's a lot of things going on, but that 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 um, relationship and that 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 uh, business that we have through our trading partners with USDA and USTR uh, is second to none. So yeah, we're. We're looking forward to working closer together going forward and maintaining the good good situation that we're in today. And I would imagine USMEF would like to see a vote on Alexis Taylor for the USDA trade nom, uh, undersecretary role. Without a doubt, yeah, we're, we're we know Alexis from her previous role at USDA, and uh, we're very supportive of that nomination. Hopefully, it can get expedited through the process. And of course, the next thing on our radar would be getting a chief ag negotiator in the USTR. And hopefully that's coming sooner rather later as well. Indeed it is. We need those folks advocating for American agriculture on the global scene. Thanks to Dan Halstrom, who does that every day as president of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. And folks, stick with us. We're going to talk with Matt Youngman, the events director from Farm Progress, about the Farm Progress show, which will be here before we know it. Stick around for more AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Joy Kirkpatrick, Farm Succession Specialist with the University of Wisconsin-Madison in the Division of Extension, is here with us to discuss how we can manage stress on the farm as we begin our busy spring season. Joy, what are some signs people may see in a loved one or in themselves that indicate they might be struggling? We talk a lot about signs versus symptoms. So when you think about signs, that's something that someone on the outside can see. There's a behavior that's happening. They may be not attending social functions that they usually come to. While farmers are really good at noticing things, they might notice that their neighbor or someone that they're close to isn't quite themselves, then that's when they need to think about how do they reach out. So those are sort of the outward sorts of things. And then there are the symptoms. That's more of an internal thing, right? Someone who's seeing that in themselves. So maybe it's actually physically, you know, stress might affect them with their heart changes. They may have a tightness in their chest, fatigue, nausea, so there's all kinds of internal things, and then they may have their feelings might be changed, easily angered, feeling depressed, tired, if they're tired all the time. What are the first steps in addressing these mental health concerns once you see them, Joy? One thing that we really encourage people to do, especially if they're seeing a lot of those sort of physical symptoms, is go to your primary health care provider. We want to make sure that it isn't something that is much more of a physical cause for these things, right? So making sure that you get, you know, a physical, if you haven't had one in a while, might be a good idea. And then a lot of times primary health care provider is the first person that someone might mention their feelings or maybe some of these other symptoms that they're not realizing are stress-related. So we really encourage people to first reach out to their primary care physician. That's Joy Kirkpatrick, Farm Succession Specialist with the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension. Thanks for joining us here around the table. To learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership, visit cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, welcome back to AOA. Thanks for making us a part of your day today. Boy, it is hard to believe the month of June is going to be here tomorrow. Folks, summer is almost upon us. Farmers are still working to get that crop in the ground across the Corn Belt, but we're looking ahead to harvest. And really, one of the bellwethers of harvest season to me is the Farm Progress Show. Joining me today to discuss the Farm Progress Show is Matt Youngman. He's the events director in charge of running everything over there. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be with you, Mike. Glad to be with you. Well, that is good to hear, Matt, and I'm very excited. I'll get the chance to be at the Farm Progress Show all three days this year with our friends from Trelleborg Agricultural Tires. And Matt, let's talk about the show site. Farm Progress is in Boone this year. What are the dates? The dates are August 30, 31, and September 1st. So that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday before Labor Day. And uh, glad to hear you're going to be on the Trelleborg lot. That's uh, they've got they've got an exciting thing going on that I was that, that was on my list to talk about anyway. Well, lead right into it, Matt. What are you excited about? Well, there. If you remember in 2018, they they floated a tractor. Well, they're they're back doing that again, bigger and better than ever. Um, and you know we haven't been. We haven't been to Boone. We haven't had a Farm Progress show in Boone since 2018. So that's been a long time ago. So uh, that will be a, a, a nice, you know, it, it won't be new to Boone, but boy, is it sure exciting. And, and I've had the opportunity to sit in the cab of that tractor that floats and, and drive it off into the water. And I can assure you there's nothing more unnerving than, 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 than being in the cab of a tractor and, and taking off into the water. Um, it's, it's quite a sight to, and, and quite an experience to to be in that cab. Yeah, it certainly is. It is very cool to see. So the pond is still there at the Boone site, Matt, as you mentioned, my goodness, it's been four years since you've had a live show at Boone. Are there been any changes to the site? Repeat visitors, are they gonna notice anything different about the, the show site this year? Well, four years is a long time. So so there, there will be a lot of changes. Uh, you know, in 2018, Bayer hadn't hadn't completely folded into into Monsanto and the Corteva Pioneer thing wasn't done. So the the exhibit field map is going to look completely different. And then and, and that's just the show site. We're we're getting some really incredible traffic improvements around that show site. They won't be completely done until the 2024 show. But we're going to have uh, instead of two lanes on the west side of the show site feeding the parking lot, we're going to have a full three lanes this year that eventually is going to lead to an overpass that, that down the road is going to make traffic access from the north a lot easier and take some of the load off Highway 30 there on the south side of the show site. So, um, yeah, lots of, lots of new exciting things. We've put more ground into production in terms of, of early season corn, so there's more room for those big pieces of equipment to, to stretch their legs and, and run in front of the crowd. So, yeah, lots of lots of new things. It's certainly after a four year break going to be a, a, a fresh and new show for everybody involved. Matt, you mentioned that corn harvest, of course, one of the key drivers for people to make the trip to the Farm Progress Show. I know Iowa farmers have been running a little bit behind the year getting corn in. How's it look on the show site? You got the seed in the ground? The seed is in the ground. The corn is up. I just got a report from one of the, the landowners this weekend that, that it was at five leaf stage and, you know, it, it went in late. We were, we were ready to roll it uh, about April 10th, but mother nature didn't, didn't agree until about May 10th. So we're, we're a little behind and that heat all the way through the summer, we plant a, a kind of a crazy early hybrid and, and hopefully um, assuming some, some nice warm days this summer, uh, we should be on pace to run all those demonstrations. Matt, everybody loves the demonstrations. It's incredible to stand there at the field's edge and watch these machines move. And I know recently Farm Progress has been running the Autonomous Expo. Are you going to have some autonomous machines in the field again this year? Yeah, that's that's another big change since 2018. You know, that was that was kind of on the on the cusp. That was just about to show up there at the 18 show, and now four years later. 
we'll have fully autonomous machines running in several places. We'll have them focused in one place there on the east side of the show site, kind of a kind of an autonomy zone area. But then when the time is appropriate for different pieces of machinery to pull out and go run in the regular demonstrations like an autonomous green cart running next to a combine in the demos, it'll pull out and go make those passes in front of the regular crowd in, in the field demonstrations and then go back and, and run for the remainder of the day in the autonomy zone. And, you know, we're going to have, we're going to have the, all the pieces there from Raven uh, as well as a couple new players in the category that, that are, that are coming in from all around the world uh, to run here in front of the crowd. So it's, you know, it, it's the, the farm progress show is the place to, to see that kind of thing in action and get up close and personal with it. It's not exactly something that you get in the cabin experience, but you know, you can kind of stand there and experience it and, and, and imagine it on your own farm. It's uh, it's, it's pretty exciting uh, when, when people get, get up close and personal with it. It, it absolutely is, folks. I'm going to editorialize for a brief moment. I've had the chance to watch the autonomous equipment working at the Farm Progress Show for the past two years, and it is unbelievable to see these machines doing their dance in the field without anybody in the cabs. It's incredible. If you get a chance, be sure to check that out. Matt, for folks who are thinking about making the trip, where should they go to get caught up on everything that's happening? Where can we keep up to speed with events planned for the Farm Progress Show. As we ramp up to the show, all of the social channels will be will be full. Our uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, YouTube will be having will be having all kinds of, of content there. Uh, obviously, this week in agribusiness is a bla- is a great place. Uh, you know, you and Max do a, a wonderful job of keeping up, us abreast of what's going on there. And then uh, FarmProgressShow.com is obviously kind of the centerpiece of all that. You can. Uh, here pretty quick, we'll have advanced tickets there on the website. You can pre-register for the event. Uh, do get get your golf cart reserved. That's already up. And go to this. It, it'll link you to visit Central Iowa Expo or visit Central Iowa to get your hotel room. So. Fantastic, folks. Get that checked out. We'll be checking in with Matt a few times a month, heading up to the Farm Progress Show, and that'll be brought to us by our friends at Trelleborg Agricultural Tires. Our behavior embraces the future. Folks, tune in tomorrow for more AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives. lives together.